Hello, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and you're listening to Welcome to the Field, a podcast for child welfare workers, caregivers, and community partners. Today, we're talking about longevity in the field of child welfare. Turnover in our field is high, but some people are able to stay for their whole career and thrive. So we're here to talk to two thrivers who have managed to stick it out and find out what keeps them doing this work despite its many challenges, with the hope that it might inform others who intend to commit to a career in child welfare for the long haul. My colleague Leslie Stapleton will be your host today, and she'll be talking with Shannon Morton and Tracy Brown. Shannon started her career as a front-end worker in 2003, stepping up into the newly created position of staff safety manager in 2015. Tracy started her career 24 years ago in 1995 as an intake social worker and has also worked briefly as a supervisor and as the family service worker assigned to the Chittenden Unit for Special Investigations, or as you might know it, Koozie. At the 15-year mark, she left DCF but returned two years later. And I should also note that Shannon also worked at Koozie. So that's something that Shannon and Tracy have in common. Okay, welcome both of you. And thanks for being willing to share your experiences with us. Here we go. Thanks, Cassie. This is Leslie, and I'm sitting here with uh, both Tracy and Shannon from Family Services. Tracy, let's start with you. Tell us about your history with DCF Family Services. Well, I graduated from the MSW program at UVM in 1995. I was a part of the 4E program. So I spent my first year at DCF in the Brattleboro office. And then I transferred to the Burlington office in 1996. And I've been in Burlington since then. Um, Over the years, I've done a few different things. I've always been an intake social worker. So I do assessments and investigations. I have spent a total of eight years at the Chittenden Unit for Special Investigations doing those types of cases. Um, Will you just tell our listeners what type of cases those are? Uh, sexual abuse and serious physical abuse investigations. It's intense. So there were two different tours there. Um, I was a supervisor for, I think, less than a year and then decided that wasn't for me. So I went back to direct service and also in there, about at about the 15-year mark, um, I left for two years to be with my family more. Um, and then I came back to this same position as an intake social worker. So I've been there now. I think next week will be 24 years. That's a long time. I appreciate you sharing uh, that you moved into a supervisor position and decided it wasn't for you and then and then left. You know, there's a lot of pressure on people to sort of move into leadership positions. It's kind of like how you show your worth to the organization by moving up. Mm-hmm. And it's not for everyone. Right. Uh, and I think really the way you really impact uh, the, the work, the child safety is directly in, in the field. So mm-hmm. and we need good people who stay in the field. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that. Shannon, you're someone who started out as a front-end FSW, right? And you made the switch to leadership, and you've, you've stayed with it. Tell us about your career history. Sure. My heart is still in the field, so it's always tough to hear that I moved out of it. Uh, it's never, it wasn't something that I ever envisioned, but uh, I just work in a different location now. Yeah. <laughs> My heart's still there. Fair enough. Um, so I started with uh, SRS. It was then SRS. Tracy also was a part of multiple name changes. Social Um, rehabilitative services, I think. uh, Social and rehabilitation services, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, something 
like that. Um, and I actually started in the Hartford District Office as a graduate of the undergrad, the BSW program. I was a 4E undergrad. Um, and that was in 2004. And I was in Hartford for seven months with a mixed caseload. Um, I really enjoyed the the front end work, the investigations and assessments. And um, I was scooped up into the Burlington office after those seven months in Hartford. Uh, it was a long commute, uh, 97 miles each way from Burlington. Ooh. I was living in Burlington, so I was really grateful to move into the Burlington office. And I joined the front end team uh, in Burlington, and that's where I remained for 12 years. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, I did go back to school during that, and I... Um, I was a 4E student for my MSW and then went back into the Burlington office from there. And then, yeah, transitioned in February of 2016, so early 2016, into the, it was then called the Staff Safety Coordinator position. That was a newly formed position. And um, as it exists now, as the Staff Safety Manager out of Waterbury. So a big part of your work is around safety culture. There's a safety culture work group, and there's just a lot of attention spent on keeping people physically and psychologically safe within family services. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, it's been an interesting transformative phase, I guess, to to be a part of. I, I don't think that, you know, we're still... I feel like it's still sort of in its infancy. We're still getting yeah. our legs underneath us, getting our foundation in safety culture. Um, but I joined that group pretty early on. And, um, you know, it was nice for me to be able to bring the staff safety lens into the safety culture work because I think so much of staff safety has to do with, yes, your physical safety, but also the psychological safety and having a workforce that understands that their safety is paramount and it is the thing to focus on to get them to come back to this work each and every day. Um, and so blending that in with the safety culture work and the ideas around secure base and um, really just sort of what I like most about it is prioritizing the relationships of this work um, with our colleagues and with others, you know, outside of our district and and really looking at that and examining how we can grow it so that folks are their most comfortable in the work. And uh, by most comfortable, I don't mean that we don't have uncomfortable conversations, um, but that it's, um, you know, that we have that culture where, where we can talk about tough stuff because we all do tough stuff day in and day out. Yeah, for sure. You know, self-care is definitely a critical part of the work, uh, needing to care for yourself. What are each of you doing to take care of yourselves? You know, how do you consciously attend to that? I can list all the things I do, but I just want to say I, I don't always do them. I'm just being real about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm, I'm not always good at it, but I I try my best to set boundaries, you know, between work and home. It, that has not been easy this last year, of course, for any of us. And for me, exercise is a big piece of taking care of myself. I try to prioritize that as much as I can. Um it really clears my mind uh, so I can continue to do this work and also do all the other things in my life that, that I need to be healthy for. And I have to do a lot of self-talk with myself. Like, okay, I'm always behind, but always reminding myself that 
I have another whole life that I feel like I'm good at. So I pay my bills. I own a house. I have a to-do list. I take care of my three children. And I do those things well and on time. So I've had to tell myself that a lot and just remember that, you know, the system we're working in isn't conducive to getting everything done. Um, So I have to remind myself of that a lot because it certainly can make you feel, doing this job can certainly make you feel like you're never doing enough, you're not doing it right, um, you have bad time management skills, you know, because there's always too much work. Yeah. Um, Were you telling yourself those things as you drove to work this morning and got that email that says, here's what you're behind on? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, another piece just this past weekend, you know, the feedback I got from one of my kids was, Mom, you're always working. You're always on mm-hmm. your computer. And that really stuck out to me. So I I really tried to separate that this weekend and not check things. And and now I, I knew I was behind, but now I know for sure because I've received the email. <laughs> It was always interesting to see Tracy. I mean, you know, because we worked in the same office for the longest time and and she was at Koozie for a really long time. And I don't know, it was just amazing to see how good she was at boundaries. And it was something to aspire to. And so, I mean, we really, I mean, really, everyone in the office knew how amazing Tracy was with her boundaries. And it was also for a newer worker to see someone else behind on their paperwork because that is always something that I struggled with. So I just so identify with some of the things that um, that Tracy said. So, I mean, my self-care, it really changed over the years. Um, I was not good at it for a really long time. I would say the first 10 years of my career, I, um, I like so many in this field, find myself in a position of being a people pleaser. And also, as I've talked about with my therapist, you know, struggling with a hero complex, right? Mm. That, that That's not, I don't see it as a negative. I, I think that it's a very common thing to have and wanting to be a strong helper. And, and so for a really long time, I struggled with saying no to anything. I would put other people's needs and the division's needs, honestly, uh, ahead of my own. And it's something that I still struggle with. And so I, you know, I'm trying to think about the things that I did back then for self-care. I, you know, had really strong relationships with colleagues. And that's probably Mm -hmm. the one thing that sustained me through everything. I mean, I think in this work, you develop those trauma bonds and there's just such close connections with those folks. And it really does help keep you coming back. Um, There aren't a lot of people who are going to outside of the child protection work who really fully understand what it's like to go to work every day, right? And see people do the worst of things to other people. Like not a lot of people see that and can fully understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Literally this week, um, yeah, I I mentioned to somebody, yeah, my my work isn't something that you talk about at dinner parties. No. So, um, you know, and that that can be tough uh, on relationships. I've, you know, been through a divorce um, and some of it was due to the just disconnect between, Mm. you know, me having my whole world be work. Um, And so now I really, really try and um, develop my personhood outside of work. And Mm. like Tracy said, that there are so many things that I do outside of work 
that I feel proud of, that I'm good at. And, um, and honestly, for me, it all changed about seven years ago, um, seven years ago in May, um, when I got sober. Um, mm. I struggled for a really long time with active alcoholism and um, refused to accept that I needed help and that I had a problem because I felt like it would take away all of the strong good work that I had done. And, um, you know, I had a referred to as like a miracle moment where um, all of a sudden I realized that I didn't have to lose all the good parts of me Mm -hmm. by saying that this was a problem. And I became a whole person again. I didn't have a secret side. I, you know, I just sort of became. And so with that, there, there's a, you know, just a ton of work that you do in recovery that I oftentimes think I'm at an advantage to at, at some points because I sort of have a roadmap for living and perspective and um, a way to remind myself about, you know, the things that are important. So that's a huge part of just my daily living. Um, my husband now is also in recovery. And so it's, you know, we just have that sort of in common. And so yeah. we live a, a really honest life, meaning that we talk about when things are not going well and we really celebrate um you know, the positives. And, and so that's a huge part of my self-care now. And um, I've been able to embrace some of the things about people that I've loved um, throughout my life and work those into my daily routine and gardening and building things like my grampy. And so there's, there's little things that I do, but I am certainly not as disciplined with exercise as Tracy is. I wish I was, but you couldn't catch me running. Yeah. I mean, you could catch me running because I don't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> I think discipline is an important term to pull out there because yeah. it is it is a discipline. You have to work at it, right? Like you have to attend to your self care because it is really hard in this work. It'll it as you both have demonstrated, it take takes over. Tracy, how have you used your team as your secure base to support your work? For me, I, it's always been really important. I I love, I've always loved being a part of the intake team. No, I feel like no matter who was in it, it was just a great group. Um, and it is a great group right now. So I think something you said before um, really resonates, especially in intake. I feel like everyone you're working with knows exactly what the job is like. And um there's there's really no one else I'd rather talk to about what I'm doing at work than my coworkers who are doing it right then. Um, so we've always had a really strong group. I mean, through the years, all different people have come and gone. And um, I think it's crucial to have that group together. So we've, in Burlington, intake is pretty big. So We've sort of been split up before into two different teams, but still an intake group. And then over this last year, we've all been really together again, doing our Zoom meetings. And for me, I found that really helpful, just having that large group of everyone doing the same job. And um, they know exactly how to help you if you need someone to jump in to assist you with something. So that's big for me. That's great. Shannon, you've been in your your role. You are the the lone safety manager, but I think you're getting a counterpart here. Am I right about that? I do hear that um, that we might be adding a, a second staff safety position, which I think will be phenomenal. I think there's just so much more work to do, and 
doing it alone is uh it's lonely right it's yeah. uh it's a it's a heavy load and you know that that team is secure base is uh something that I've struggled with coming out of the Burlington office and out of that intake team into central office and being sort of like a solitary practitioner right um I don't belong to like the oper I I'm on the operations team, but I'm not an ops manager. And so they have their own meetings and then, you know, there's just all these little subsets. And I sort of, you know, myself and some colleagues who are in similar positions, we talk about that we sort of feel like we're on the island of like misfit toys and we just band together and, you know, try and do some peer supervision that's really unstructured. And just because we don't, we don't necessarily have a team. And, and so that's been something that, um, you know, I really missed about being in Burlington and um, feeling like there's that collectiveness. And um, but I also am, am, you know, grateful for it. And I think it allows me to um, have maybe stronger. I, I mean, I, I seek connection, right? So I seek connections with the districts, and because I have to most often deal with them at a moment of crisis. Um, it is really important for me to have those strong connections and those relationships and um, and that they know that I'm there. And, you know, like it's just and so it's interesting. I feel like my secure base has like really long legs and has to like reach out to everywhere. But, um, you know, it, it's always it's always interesting for me to to think about like who I who I rely on day to day. Um, and I certainly have a strong relationship with my supervisor now and past supervisors. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is an important part of the, the work, right, that you have a supervisor that you find is supportive. I think that's one of the, the you know, the reasons, first of all, there's incredible turnover in child protection work um, for a variety of reasons. People not feeling safe, the family life balance, and feeling supported by your leadership and your supervisor. So when you have a good supervisor, that's key. That they support you, they listen to you, you feel supported by them. Yeah, I don't know. Does anybody want to say anything about that or the importance of that in your in your longevity in the field? Well, I've had a lot of supervisors over the years, so it's 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 difficult to think of just one. Um I mean, I'll say we talked about this before. I, I would say John Salter is right up there <laughs> with the Shout best out of the John best. Salter. Yeah. I don't know if this will get in the final cut, but um a lot of the things I think about that have been helpful to me in my supervision have been things that John would do. Yeah. You know, um having a sense of humor. Um I mean, this is probably bad for John, but he always answered his phone <laughs> when <laughs> when I had a question or I was out late. So much for those work-life boundaries. <laughs> yeah. um, he just always had positive regard for everyone around him. And I think that's so important to just feel like, you know, no matter if you did a great job or, you know, sort of a mediocre job only because maybe there wasn't time to do a great job or... You just weren't on your A game that day. Um, he was just always supportive. So, um, I, you know, the paperwork issues, he always tried to support that, yet um, never really made you feel bad about it. Like, you weren't good enough. Um, 
So uh, he, you know, also supervisors like John um, that just modeled having respect for families mm-hmm. and keeping, you know, the uh, power differential in check and um, just trying to relate to people that you're working with. Those are all really important things, I think, that I've gotten from supervisors. So, um, you know, a common denominator between your stories is that you haven't stayed in the same job or the same place the whole time. And there's some value to sort of moving moving around and taking advantage of opportunities to sort of like switch things up, give new energy to the work. Um, even though you've stayed mostly frontline the whole time, Tracy, you've gone to Koozie and you've come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you've both have gone to graduate school and returned to the work. Um, you've maybe taken on some special projects or maybe participated in some work groups or things like that. And when we were thinking about this podcast, we were thinking, I was thinking about new staff, right? Thinking about turnovers crazy, wanting to offer up some nuggets of wisdom and information that might help support new staff in the field and so they can stay in the job long term. And some of that is sort of switching up what you're doing, even if you're staying in the same job. Will you guys talk maybe a little bit about the opportunities that you took advantage of and maybe how that energized you or rejuvenated you in the work so that other people out there are like, how did how did you move from front end to koozie? Like, how Mm -hmm. did those opportunities, did they give that to you or did you seek that out? Yeah, that was, um, that happened for me. I think I had been there about six years and they were just discussing you know, having someone from DCF be a koozie. And initially it was supposed to be a six-month trial period <laughs> just to see how it goes. And so I I threw my name in the hat for that, and I was able to go. And then I ended up being there for six and a half years. I don't think there was a framework, so there was no end, end um, time frame to it, which is maybe why I stayed so long. But... Um, I, I loved that. It was just different. It was this, you know, the same work, but, um, a different group of people, um, more experience in, you know, testifying in court. And when I started, um, there was no such thing as forensic interviewing training. So we used to discuss that a lot. You know, what's the best interview? What should we do? Should we even have a protocol? That used to be what we would talk about years ago. I'm sure Shannon remembers that. Um, so, and over the years, you know, that's developed. So th- that was all just really interesting to me. I've always loved that type of work, um, doing forensic interviews and investigations of um sexual abuse and serious physical abuse. So then, you know, I ended up going back there. There was another opportunity after I left for just under two years and came back. Um, I had an opportunity to go there again for two more years. Um, so that really, you know, that was eight and a half years of my 24. So yeah. that really gave me some variety. Um I also worked uh, in a part-time position for three years when my kids were much younger. I don't believe we have any part-time positions now, but it was a nice way to try to balance the work with the rest of my life. 
Um, and then I left for two years, which also mixed things up. Um, mm. I was away from the work completely, just, you know, not just, but being home with my children and then having another child while I was out. Um, and I, but I felt like when I left at the 15 year mark, I felt like I was pretty burnt out and I just needed to leave. Um, and then while I was gone, I, I kept thinking about not the whole time, but towards the end, I started thinking about going back and I felt like when I went back after that two years, it was a very deliberate choice I was making that I wanted to go back and do this work again. So I feel like, you know, from year 15 to 24 has felt a little different for me mm-hmm. um, because I, I made that choice. And yeah. I it there's something about it that feels a little different being away and then coming back. Yeah. That's great. Taking time away, knowing that you can, too, and that the field will welcome you back. And there's even some structures within state government that you can leave. And if you return within another two years, you still return at, like, the same step level or whatever. You don't lose all of the income that you're earning. And Yes. So there's some some protections for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's good for people to know. Yeah. Uh, so my – I think my time away from the work was um, – was largely when I went to when I went to grad school and got my MSW, and so that was in 2011. Um, it was great for me. It was, um, you know, the, I think the most beneficial thing was actually my second year doing my internship in central office and seeing the greater systems perspective mm-hmm. and opportunity for change, and um, you know that it wasn't just going to happen. Like you had to be active in trying to get things, you know, to be different and, and looking at things and, um, you know, really sort of dissecting why they were the way they were. And, um, and so that was really interesting for me and something I really needed, um, because, you know, I really identified, like I said, with, with being in the work, being on the front line and, um, sort of, I don't know, like only gave value to that role and and obviously to you know direct supervisors and stuff but like I didn't I didn't understand the value um of the work that was being done at sort of you know that that higher level and so being in central office and 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 looking at those things and then um participating in the staff safety work group. Um, I had been a, also, also been a, a part of labor management, mm. and um, I think I've always sort of been the type of person that, you know, if I see a problem, I want to be a part of the solution, and um, not just talk about the problem. Like I want to yeah. work for change, and so being a part of those, you know, it it was really interesting for for me to watch policy form. And I would have never said that before grad school. Like, are, are you like, ugh, I didn't want anything to do with policy or, or data or any of those things. Now it's your life. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it was, it was a nice shift. Uh, it, you know, it took my blinders off a little bit and um, also let me see that I could be effective out of the field because I never thought that I could mm. be, um, that that was where I needed to affect change and, and to, to see that on a, 
on a systems level, and um, I embrace that fully with the creation of, of my position. And really, that only came after I worked in Barrie, after um, the murder of, of our colleague, uh, Lara Sobel. And I, I spent a few months down in Barrie and, and started to, to recognize some things, you know, because I was out of my environment and that there was this gigantic trauma about our system and some areas that I thought we could change. And um, I don't know that I that I would have been as motivated if I hadn't been given the opportunity to be able to go and, and work with our colleagues in Barrie during that time. How do you protect yourself from the trauma, the sad stories, the bad press. Lord knows there's a lot of that negativity. How do you fill your cup with positivity amidst all of the the sad stories, the the murder of Laura Sabal being a, a large a large part of that? One of the things that someone, I don't remember who, told me to do, it might have been in a training I went to early on. Um, maybe it was a training by the Child Welfare <laughs> Training Partnership. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Did they have that in 1995? I don't know. I don't know. Were you there then? <laughs> they Kate? probably did. Yeah. However, I it was, someone told me very early on, keep a folder and put things in it. Hmm. Um, thank you notes, emails that someone sent you telling you you did a good job little things like that. And I've done that since I started in 1995. And I still have this thank you note from a family whose son and a bunch of other teenagers had, you know, run away across the country and landed in Brattleboro. And um, we ended up, you know, helping to get them back there. So little things like that. I have a big folder and I've saved and printed out the most random emails (laughs) of you know, you did a good job on this or did a good job on that, because I honestly, you don't hear that very often in this work. Um, So occasionally when I'm going through things in my desk, I will look in that folder and read them again and add to them um, or stick things in there. I put all kinds of random things in the folder, little little sticky notes, like good job. because there are so many negative things and you're, you know, often told you're doing the wrong thing, whether it's, um, you know, by a family that maybe doesn't want you in their lives, which is understandable, or sure. an attorney or um, anyone, really. I mean, it's just a delicate balance in this work um, as far as what is the right thing to do in every situation what's the best pathway what is you know supporting the family and also protecting the child and you know that that fine line in between there um so that's a big thing that i've always tried to do just to remember those positive moments Yeah. yeah that's a that's great that's a great little tip to pass on to folks yeah how about you shannon just keeping those, you know, those memories alive of those cases where you've seen um, sort of the the magic happen, the the stories of success, the stories of strong connection, um, you know, just the the ways in which we assist or um, you know help a family find their strength, and um, those for me are really what what has. Uh, kept me going when I was in the field. And, and now it's it's similar, right, with um, 
with our staff and um, those moments where after, uh, you know, I've, I've connected with a staff person after, you know, a, a really scary and, and traumatic event um, when our staff are, are threatened, um, you know, being able to be someone that can lean in and, um, and help them and just sort of just remembering that because there are so many hard days. Um, mm-hmm. And the work that I do now, it really does feel like such a parallel process <laughs> to the work of child protection, right? Um, like my caseload is now 12 districts with uh, however many, you know, yeah, <laughs> family members in, in each mm-hmm. in in each district. And a lot happens to to all of us. And, you know, and I think, again, it just comes back to those relationships and, and those connections. And, and that is uh, definitely something that that has kept me going over the years. I think that that was the initial question, right? The title of this podcast is Longevity in the Field. And we've been talking about, you know, longevity of staff in the field. But much of what we've been talking about also applies to caregivers too, doesn't it? The takeaways here can apply to foster parents, the the need to take care of yourself, the value of education, taking time off, varying your experiences, the trauma and the impact of the work. And we're 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 all partners with this uh, in this together in this work and we share many of the same successes and the same challenges what do you want caregivers to know about your work that might help them team with you i'll let tracy go first okay tracy thanks you for that <laughs> i would say i would what i would want them to know sure i would want them to know how important I think their work is because I, it's just, I think one of the most crucial pieces to being able to do the work we're doing is having, you know, safe, wonderful placements out there for kids to go to. And um, it's always struck me, you know, we talk about boundaries and, taking space and Mm -hmm. taking care of your family. And it's just very different, I think, for foster parents and caregivers because, you know, how do you have boundaries (laughs) with people that are in your home? I mean, it's just they become a part of your family. So um, you can't really separate that. Like, I think maybe I can do that from the work and the home piece, it's all mixed together for them. So it's, I think, even trickier to be able to take care of yourself in the role of a foster parent or caregiver. So, um, but I, you know, I always want them to know how important they are to my work because there's nothing like having a child come into custody on an emergency basis and knowing there's someone there who can just step right in and make that child feel welcome Mm -hmm. and work with you to get everything done. I just had an interaction with a foster parent, um, and I don't expect everyone to do this, but it was just incredible. I, I had this child that was coming into custody and she was saying, I can do this and I'll do that. And I have a connection with the daycare spot and I'll Mm. take care of that. And it was amazing. I mean, it was so helpful and um, such a relief to know 
that this person was there just ready to care for this child in such a wonderful way. Yeah, that's great. That's a caregiver that understands just how many tasks there are when a kid comes into custody. There's just so much yes. to do, so mm-hmm. many boxes to check and things to to do. So they're they're teaming with you. That's a great yes. That's a great example of the teamwork that it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so for me, you know, my greatest wish is that our our caregivers won't know what it's like to have to work with me, right? Because I, yes. I, I do work with our our foster parents and, you know, in situations in which they've been the target of a threat and mm-hmm. um, there's a safety concern related to a placement in their house. And, you know, so I... <laughs> As much as, um, you know, I don't want to ever have them have to interact with me to know that, you know, our system supports them. And and for very good reason, just like Tracy said, you know, it, it is an incredible commitment that that our caregivers um, have to to our kiddos without which we would be, you know, paralyzed. And um, I have always said that being a foster parent is the hardest job. You know, everyone always, I feel like, says that to us. Um, but I don't think I could ever do it, you know, to to open up your heart fully and, and care and, you know, take care of, of, of these children and youth with the aim of having them leave, right? Yeah. Like, that, you know, our, our, our biggest goal is reunification and, mm-hmm. um, you know, safe reunification. And, and they 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 do that willingly, right? Yeah. They, they step in, and and so just to know that you know our system has certain um, you know pieces about it, myself included, that are there for them, and and to not be afraid to ask for help, and the the great benefits that can come with asking for help. So to close us out, because um, we're out of time, what what words of wisdom would you give a new FSW family services worker? Just starting out in this work, what have you learned over the years that you want to share with others? I'll let Tracy go first. That's been our pattern the yeah. whole time. Yeah. So. yeah, why should we um, change that I up? I don't want to, you know, mess the listeners up in there. I think, <laughs> I think the biggest thing would be something I mentioned before, which is um, remember what your own strengths are before you started doing this work and always keep them in mind <clears throat> while you're doing this work. Um, and remind yourself of that repeatedly, because I think in this system, there aren't always feelings of, you know, I'm doing a great job. I'm on top of everything. I I just don't think the system is set up that way to make you feel like that if you're going to do this work for any period of time, but especially for a long period. So just remembering what your strengths are in areas outside of your job um, because th- that's who you are. And just because you can't always keep up in this system doesn't mean you're a failure of some sort. Um, and also just to really try to focus on taking care of yourself, whatever that looks like, whether it's exercise or whether it's, you know, spending time with friends, family, gardening, whatever makes you feel complete. Just really try to keep those things up um, so that it's not just about this work 
which isn't always the most positive subject matter. So, you know, keeping those positive things in your life and and remembering the positive things about yourself. Great. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, I wish that I had practiced earlier uh, in a way that um, that embraced a strong self uh, or a strong sense of self-awareness. Um, you know, how am I doing? How, you know, why am I reacting this way to this situation? You know, really sort of just tapping into you uh, in this work. I think that um, it can be really easy to just develop that, you know, mentality of get it done, get it done, get it done. Um and not taking stock of sort of where you're at and um, and being honest with yourself, right? Like if, if you need to, you know, take a day off or not get a certain type of case or, you know, really spend some time processing something that's going on, um, you know, honest honesty with yourself is, is really important um, and also being vulnerable. Uh, in a way that you can be honest with others and um, and again, not sort of seeing it as a defeat to to say that, you know, you're struggling or that this type of situation is hard for you. Um, you know, it's it is really important to go into this work with eyes wide open um, and to also be able to to recognize what's going on for you, um, as you move through it. And, um, yeah. And I, I wish that I had learned that a little bit earlier and, and also been generous more with myself, right. Mm -hmm. About like, this is hard work. Yep. This, these are things that you're good at. You're, you're doing it well and, and not constantly feeling, you know, like there was a giant, rock being held up by some very delicate net and that's oftentimes what this work feels like honestly it's like oh when is that thing going to fall when is that thing going to happen um and it's a you know if pete cutney was here he would he would tell us about the brain science behind that right and and having to operate you know in that in that lizard brain of yours uh in this work for for a really long time can be um can be really tough and and if you're not aware of that's what's going on for you it just bleeds out into all different types of ways that um, can be fairly unhealthy so be honest with yourself be honest with others <laughs> yeah look out for each other too right you see your coworker who's maybe not as you know them and you see you see that they're in a funk or something's something's different that we're all looking out for each other it's really about a culture you know that safety culture creating a culture of of uh, camaraderie where we're looking out for each other. We're looking out for ourselves. We're looking out for each other uh, with the hopes that people can stay in this this work long-term uh, for the long haul. Uh, it's what's best for child protection, right? Not to have this constant turnover of staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, families and children uh, are negatively impacted by a constant t- turnover uh, your co- people who stay in the field are negatively imp- impacted by that constant turnover too, right? Like it's hard to see people come and go all the time. You're the one who's left sort of like still doing the work while you're waiting to hire. And 
and uh, training new staff, it's incredibly hard. So hopefully this podcast can be one tiny little piece of the mammoth work it is to uh, support people in doing the work and staying with it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Field is produced by the Vermont Child Welfare Training Partnership and the state of Vermont. Our music is composed and performed by local band Brick Drop. And our sound production and engineering has been brought to you by Esmond Communications and Egan Media Productions. For Welcome to the Field, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and we'll see you next time.